Many of you work with MNCs who have US headquarters and it's not very uncommon for the US management to visit India. Let me give you two scenarios that we often come across, especially if you're meeting them for the first time. You walk into the boardroom and you're greeted with a big warm to the grin with a hug. But you're not expecting that. So you sometimes get confused and you don't know what to do. You have a body language of should I hug back? Should I hold back? Will it be appropriate or not? You get a bit confused. On the flip side, we have also noticed that there could be occasions where somebody's offered you a polite handshake, but you overcompensate the familiarity and go and give a big hug. What happens is a cringy moment follows. Now, does that sound familiar? Has it ever happened to you? And or similar things, right? So don't worry. In today's ride, we must talk about better ways to understand these cultural nuances amongst two different set of people and ways to navigate around tricky situations at work. If this piques your interest, I'll share some tips and tricks on ways to better manage your stakeholders from the United States, EMEA or APAC management with regular day-to-day -day conversations. Hello and welcome back fellow riders on Bus Talk, a podcast about work-life issues which crowd our minds each day. Myth-busting into reality, Bus Talk shares stories, anecdotes, observations, some tips and tricks to better your work-life balance or lack thereof. Simply put, it's a straight talk to help you cope with various work-life situations without having to reinvent the wheel. And yes, there is a lot of traffic, so it does take time. We go slow, steady and at our own pace. If this is what piques your interest, you're on the right bus. So sit back, turn up the volume and enjoy the ride. I'm your host GB and you're listening to Bus Talk. So let me begin with a quick short story about Thailand. No, I'm not going to talk about the tourism or the massages. I'm going to talk about a business review experience that I had many years ago. So this was this region which was trying really hard and these are in terms of sales numbers, but they were just not hitting the forecast. And it was about five or six quarters later that this was the first time that they hit above 100%. I think they ended at about 102%. So I was over to Thailand to do a business review of the sales team, which had now achieved 102% and beat some of the other countries in the region. It was a fantastic moment. And in my excitement, I went and ruffled the hair of the top performer in the meeting room. What followed was a stone silence in the room. People did not look at each other. They were looking at the table or in their laptops and everybody went silent. Now I got really confused as to what happened. Maybe were the numbers wrong or there was some other thing, but it wasn't until much later in the evening that one of the people came over to me and said, you know, you do not touch a Thai person's head. It is considered sacred space and therefore you seek permission before you do that and it's best avoided. If you don't know, then it's best avoided. A simple thank you is good enough. And here I was relating it back to the cricket experience that some of us carry in our mind that when a wicket falls, you know, you go and ruffle the player's hair as a, as a sign of affection, as a sign of gratitude. 
But here it was absolutely the opposite. And so here I was in a culture trap. And therefore, once the realization struck me, I went back and apologized profusely and explained that my intent was to share the joy and the happiness after the hard work that they had done over the last five, six quarters. And so, yes, we have been friends, fortunately, over the years, and I'm grateful that people shared. But in many cases, people never share these subtle insights and relationships often sour because of these cultural differences and people get into a frictional situation. So the next time I traveled anywhere, I first read up the culture and traditions checklist before engaging with the locals. And not just that, I learned so many other subtle nuances like they don't look at a leader's eyes directly. And you might think they're going shifty eyes, but that's out of respect. That's the respect they give to a elder or a leader. And you have to realize, like for example, in like in Vietnam, it's more to do with presenting yourself with a pleasant face, as it were, or, or a smile. Now, it's very nice until things are nice. But imagine in a tough business review, if the person is still smiling, then you might misunderstand that person. But the reason that the person is smiling is so that you don't get uncomfortable looking at them if they make a distorted face. I mean, that's such beauty, right? That's 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 so sensitive. These subtle things make you appreciate the culture even more. So I have deep respect, not just for the Thai people, but the Vietnamese and all the other cultures that I've been privileged to experience and learn and understand. All right, with that, now I know most of you who work with typical MNCs will identify with this a little bit more. However, culture traps can happen to anybody and anywhere. Look at it this way, that if you knew a little better, then maybe that relationship could work out a little better. It's not that anyone has a wrong intention. People get that, that you don't have a faulty intention in most cases. But ignorance does not give you the alibi either. If you work in a multicultural environment, you need to be sensitive to other customs and cultures, just like you'd expect them to be with you, right? So how do we work out the differences, knowing well that both want to do well at their jobs and Uber goal is to make the business successful, yet people might have different ways to go about it. So let's take four common interactions at your workplace and understand the subtext of these exchanges where one can potentially trip on the culture trap. So scenario number one, how do you interact or deal with a typical US management team visiting India for the first time or maybe in subsequent visits as well? And I'll touch a little bit upon the EMEA management because there are a lot of similarities, but there are subtle differences as well. I'll touch upon that. And in scenario two, I'll talk about the APAC management. That is very different from US management. And what are the typical watchouts? And within that segment, I'll also touch a little bit upon the ANZ management. Not very similar to APAC management, but a lot of the ANZ management often rolls under the APAC management. And so I'll touch upon a little bit on that. Hopefully, that'll cover most of it and then explore how these regular scenarios work out across everyday situations like introduction and greetings meeting somebody in person, typical email culture with, you know, foreign management and their expectations owing to the pandemic, telecons, video calls, conference calls, and all hands have 
gone through the roof what are the typical mistakes people do on such conversations and finally on a lighter side we'll also explore the social meetings after work the parties off sites and everything that should more or less give you a cultural 360 degree point of view to better be equipped that the next time when you interact with somebody from a different region country culture to better business relationship and eventually benefit both of you to be more productive great with that let's go to the us folks first simply because most mnc's have a us headquarter and they often visit india and in many instances there are those who are visiting india for the first time and you can imagine their state of mind they hear a lot of stuff on television they of course there are the local indians in america who advise them and then there are those who have previously visited also form the part of their advisory committee as it were as a result by the time they board the aircraft they're very anxious and have a mixed bag i mean people do understand having interacted with indian counterparts that it's not scary but then it is confusing right and so they are often in that conundrum as what's the best way to interact so the following points are from an indian's standpoint when you have the foreigners visiting you in india what are the three or four things that you need to keep in mind so right at the top of my list is when you see the typical quintessential american they are the high energy big smile warm hug with a very with a very positive upbeat outlook towards life so when they meet similar people working becomes like a breeze if not then it takes a little bit of time for both of the parties to understand each other so for example if you have this yay how are you doing fabulous outstanding what have you and you go like yeah i just waited through 2 hours of traffic and so that's not the energy levels people are expecting people are expecting to receive a similar degree of enthusiasm there are those at senior levels who are not so effervescent if you will they are more measured and controlled and therefore one expects you to also revert with the same degree of measure right and so this mirroring technique is very important so you wait for the foreigner to interact or react and you match that or mirror that if possible right that's the best way to start the initial ice breaking conversations so here are five or six points that you might want to keep in mind with your regular interaction with the americans first up when they ask a straight question give a straight answer give an example how is your business did you meet your forecast the answer is simple business is fine i met my forecast or business could be better yes let's talk about the forecast at a little later either ways you answer the question and it just suffices at that instead what we often get to hear is that if somebody asks a simple question well how was your how's it going how was the business last quarter and then there is a long winded 10 minute answer which actually does not address the main point it goes all over the place 
you know, the subtext that comes through is that either this person did not understand the question or is dodging the question on purpose or there is something wrong in the competency levels. And therefore, it, it confuses some people, especially if they're interacting for the first time, right? Bear that in mind. Those who have interacted with us for a longer period of time, they kind of get, you know, it's a bit like a school psychology. You know, the more you write in your question papers or your answer sheets, the more marks you get. So that psychology somewhere carries over to into our conversations at work. So be very circumspect about that. What worked in school may not work in a corporate communication situation. So if you're asked a straight question, just give a straight answer. If a follow-up open-ended question is asked, then of course you can reply with an open-ended answer. However, that open-ended answer need not be a 10-minute monologue. The best bet is to pause every one and a half, two minutes to check, well, did you get that or did you have any questions? I'll pause for a moment if you had any thoughts, so on and so forth. And that will make sure it's an interactive back and forth of a conversation, which makes it more engaging. So that's one of the main situations that we observe in such first time interactions. Number two is always be politically correct. Now, I've often come across people in the attempt to break ice. I've often come across people when they want to get friendly or strike a small conversation, they more often than not head into a very wrong direction. Give an example. So how's your husband, how kids, wife? Now, for all you know, that person might be going through a divorce and perhaps it's a tough situation. You know, in US, the divorce rates are closing in on 40% and more. And so it could just hit a raw nerve and you don't want to assume because you have wife and kids you also ask your US counterpart how their wives and kids are and you're just thinking well I'm being polite and nice and that's what I do everywhere in my neighborhood but when you're interacting with someone whose background you do not know and you're just beginning to interact with them on a professional level now it's inappropriate to ask about their individual family life unless they bring it up themselves they will often make a passing remark you know my kids were in school they were excited to know what India has or what I'll get them from India and so on and so forth those are nice high level conversations which is fine but so will you vote for Trump or will you vote for Biden that is absolutely incorrect why fundamentally politics to them is a slightly more private matter than for example, in India, which is where it is a little more openly discussed or debated, our political affiliations are a little more liberal or liberally discussed, but not so much uh, in the United States and especially in this current economic uh, socio-political climate where the country is divided into two parts. So you don't want to ask them, well, are you a Fox News follower or a, a CNN follower, implying therefore, are you a Democrat or a Republican? So the point is steer clear from these tricky situations, stick to simple business landscape, business climate kind of discussions and what's new and so on and so forth. Number three, interruptions. You have read Dr. Amartya Sen's Argumentative Indian, right? It's a great book, strongly recommend. <laughs> we have this innate habit or ability, if you will, to interject midway. 
you know, again, it comes from the B school experiences where in group discussions, you often get hired if you have raised your hand the first or spoken first or interjected and overpowered somebody's statement and made a statement yourself. And some of that stuff carries over to formal conversations, which are absolutely uncalled for. It is sometimes almost borderlining on being rude. You know, yes, you want to be participative. Yes, you want to be interactive, but cutting off someone midway is absolutely a no-no. And so the best way is let the sentence finish. No worries if there is a minute, uh, sorry, a second or two of pause in between. After that, begin your statement or point or comment. In cutting them off midway is a trifle upsetting. Number four, we have this over eagerness to please. I don't know if there's a single term to that. You may call it sucking up, but it's not exactly sucking up. It's to do with the hospitality mindset. You know, one of the common cliches we always get to hear that is India is a very hospitable country. Well, it's true we are, but there is a limit to being hospitable. And if you cross that limit, it becomes invasive or intrusive. And so where do you draw the line? You know, one of the common things I see when foreign management is or US management is visiting India, especially for the first time, people go to town, you know, they say, visit the Taj Mahal, let me drive you there. And then, you know, these young kids will say, yeah, yeah, ma'am, I'll take you there or sir, I will go with you in the car and I'll show you, I'll be your tour guide and so on. While it's a nice gesture but it's it reeks of sucking up at some point or the other why because if the reverse were to happen then it's a fair deal but it does not what i mean by that is when we visit the us you're pretty much the only one tugging your back to the, from the airport to the <laughs> to the hotel and and you join work the next day as if it's a regular day of work you have to block the calendar and meet them accordingly whereas here it becomes like a national occasion as it were and people are waiting at the airport with garlands and short of elephants if you will and uh, and it's it's such a fanfare and that's not required that's way too over the top and what are you trying to impress by being overly hospitable what's the purpose will they give you a bigger deal or better budget or i don't know which ideally should come from the work that you do and not by the garlands that you give if you know what i mean and so it also gives a very subservient impression, whereas you have to be equals. Yes, they are your stakeholders. There is a degree of respect that one needs to extend, which is fine. But it's also about professional equality. And so when we go to the United States, we know that this is a self-service culture and that's what we are expected to do. And so when they come to India, we have to learn to be very normal and not create decorate the base specially and make it like a fanfare occasion it's not required it's a regular day at work they just come to see how we are doing and if we are doing well then we don't need to put any other shosha any other shebang to impress anybody finally the over familiarity in terms of agreeing to everything if, even if it's not making sense to you if it's not you're not getting what they are saying and you're just nodding or wobbling your head and then going, exiting the room and saying, huh, what did they say? I didn't understand. It's okay. Just stop and ask, look, I didn't understand. Can you repeat? Can you explain? Can you elaborate? It doesn't make you any smaller or different, right? It's You don't have to agree yes to everything. 
you have a right to ask a question. Now, I won't name this particular trainer, a very well-known sales coach, if you will, sales trainer, who was addressing one of our sales team and the average work X in the sales team was about five to eight years experience with some of the senior managers who were at around 10, 12 years experience or more. The gentleman started the conversation, look, I understand you don't understand English very well, so I'll try to make it simple. Now, that was downright offensive. I mean, like, what did you think? You know, what, what, what? <laughs> I mean, I don't even have a right expression. It, it infuriated a lot of the people that, listen, it's not that we don't understand English. We may have a little difficulty in picking up the accent. So like you might think that we have an Indian accent, we might think you have an American accent. And so the idea is to understand if we can come to a mid path of a business accent, which is talk simple business English. And that is understood by everybody. The other presumption this American trainer did at the time was to assume that everybody was below par. Whereas there were a lot of people in the audience who had done several trainings before and from very, very reputed institutes and they were perhaps in a position to train themselves, you know, be a trainer themselves. So he completely uh, overlooked that fact. Now, one understands that this could be an exception and not a rule. Again, I'm not trying to paint everyone with the same brush. There are effective and great sales coaches that have visited over the years and really blown our minds by the techniques that they have shared and suggested and much respect and affection to them. But there are the other exceptions which I just mentioned as well. And so if you are part of such an audience and you don't react, then it gives an impression that, well, it's okay, I can get away with anything. And that's not the right impression, right? So you have to hold your ground. You need not know about Red Sox and Yankees. You know about cricket. So they don't know much about cricket. So a conversation on tilting on either end is also not advisable. And this is on a lighter note. So point is, you're trying to understand their favorite sport is perhaps basketball or baseball. And baseball and cricket have perhaps some degree of similarity. But I have seen conversations which go on for miles, if you will, on how cricket is better than baseball or And I've seen the reverse as well, or I've heard the reverse as well, where they say that, how can people play a match for five days? You know, I I need a Valium to sit through the game and all that. So don't venture into space. Again, it is individual and person dependent. Some people get sports very easily and they are curious naturally. And so they explore better. And some people are not so open about it. So don't venture into that. So play it by the ear as it were. So friends, These were some of the seven or eight uh, typical situations or scenarios in a regular interaction when you do with an American counterpart. Now, if I were to go over to the European counterpart and Europe, Middle East and Africa can further be divided into the European part and the Middle East and Africa segment. But whatever that I mentioned in so far largely applies to the European management Uh, team as well. But slight subtle differences uh, I'll try and highlight. For example, you know very well that Europe is also culturally very, very diverse. For example, Germany is very different from France. That from UK is very different from 
Switzerland and so on and so forth. So each of these regions have a distinct culture of their own. And so it's very important to be sensitive of their culture. And they have a long history, almost comparable, if not comparable, but very, very similar to the Indian civilization, which you know dates back to say 5,000, 10,000 years or what have you. And so they come from a rich history. And so you have to be very mindful that you don't bring up topics which, which could be perhaps taboo. You come across many people discussing the colonial British past and the oppression and everything. Well, yes, that is a reality and it's unfortunate, but it is also the current reality that you have a stakeholder who lives in the UK and you have to treat it just isolated, just like that. And if your personal internal beliefs are so strong that you just can't get over it, then it's best that you don't work together and you find something alternative right and so it's very important to be mindful of such cultural nuances and sensitivities of what to bring up and what not to bring up even while you're dealing with the european set of management middle east and africa very similar to apac management and i will touch upon that in my when i talk about the chinese management but suffice to say when europe middle east and africa is clubbed together as a region they are also very culturally different. If you take Europe as one region and Middle East and as one region and Africa as the third region, there are very little similarities between either of them, right? Culturally or business-wise speaking, the way you do business in, say, even Western Europe is very different to the way you do business in Eastern Europe. And therefore, how you do business in, say, Dubai is very different from how you do business in Oman, for example. Likewise, in Africa, how you do business in South Africa or the set of cultural liberties that you might have in South Africa, you might not have the same with, say, a Nigeria, for example. And therefore, it is very important to be mindful of how you are interacting with the Middle East and Africa management if you so happen to have one. So I guess, friends, overall, the simple part being a mirror what you hear be circumspect in your personal conversations, be politically correct, and have straight answers to straight questions. These kind of points often help you solidify a first impression and usually augurs well for the business. So let's now jump into China or APAC. And I loosely call it China because APEC has many other countries, but China clearly holds the largest share of the chunk of business. And it's no, it wouldn't be far to say that in your careers, say in the foreseeable future, say 2020 to 2030, the likelihood of you working with a person of Chinese origin is almost 100% guaranteed. Either it would come by way of as a partner, as a boss, as a colleague, as a customer, or you could be working in a company which is of Chinese origin. So it's very important that you separate the politics from the business. It is important to understand that you have signed up for a job which you are dealing with a certain set of people who, have, who are of Chinese origin. What their political inclinations are, are completely different. So one needs to be very objective about this. If we do come to a stage where 
situations worsen even economically, then perhaps you might revise this stance. But until that happens, and like my firm belief is, you know, commerce unites the world. Guys, no matter what the difference is, as long as there is economic interdependency, it's highly unlikely countries will go to war. It's in those areas or situations where the economics really don't matter, then the chances of conflict, skirmish or war are little higher. But in today's economy, yes, there is unrest. Yes, there is unclarity. But separate the business part of it and stay true and objective because they are simple people just like you and me. And therefore, you need to respect their business acumen. Now, to understand if you are in a situation where you have a predominantly Chinese management, then you understand that they are extremely process oriented. They follow protocol. They are disciplined. They generally are less expressive, like they're reserved kind. It's very difficult to know or realize whether they agree, disagree. So their choice of words are also very circumspect. For example, instead of using the word, wow, this is great. I love the idea. They might rephrase that. Look, I'm supportive about it. That's a way of rephrasing it. Again, not everybody does that because a lot of people travel everywhere and they understand the global nuances. But keep these in mind that this is understated. And so if you try to get too close too soon and crack up the regular jokes and everything, that might not float their boat. Hold back in terms of your expressions and emotions. Stick to the business conversation and be objective about it and explain the process and the steps by which you got to the result. That usually works well. And it's good, right? That's a very good practice that there, isn't, there are no shortcuts that we all know. And so the more you go detailed in the steps and process, the better clarity that people get. Most of the business confusions happen because you said something, but it was misunderstood or understood in a completely different context by the other person. And that's where it creates friction in the business. And so it's important to understand that they also come from different cultural backdrops, right? While they're managing India, they also manage uh, Singapore. They also manage uh, Vietnam, Hong Kong, Thailand, Philippines. All of these regions have very distinct and different cultural identities. And it's very important for you if you are traveling there, like I give the example of my Thailand experience before, that you have to be very culturally sensitive. And for the APAC management, you have to make sure that you are putting your detail hat on. The attention to detail has to be very, very high. And therefore, be everything in document. Write everything down. There are no verbal exchanges. Write everything down and share exactly what you thought and go have and all the previous points like a short email and everything all of that still is applicable to the same set of people i in i've been privileged to work with fabulous chinese management people and some of them have been very supportive and continue to be my friends till this day and yes just like everywhere else there are some difficult people to work well work with as well. They come with their own mindsets and prejudices, but that is as applicable to us as it is to anyone else. So one needs to be very neutral in treating the typical APAC or Chinese management. A quick word on the ANZ management. Now, 
ANZ in itself is a very big economy, usually forms a large part of the APAC revenue chunk. A lot of ANZ reports into the APAC management. And so if you happen to be at in the intersection or you happen to be in between such a triage, then it's best bet that you follow what the APAC management is recommending you. This is not to say that you ignore the ANZ management. It is to understand that they are very similar to how the US management works in terms of culture, thought process and everything. And therefore, they'll be slightly different uh, with the APAC management as compared to how you are. So if I were to simply put how you interact with the APAC management need not be how the ANZ management interacts with them. And so don't try to copy them. The idea is to maintain your own originality and stick to your own business as far as possible. So that's more or less what I had to share about the culture jhol. Jhol meaning a curry, mixed curry. And that's why I call this episode the culture jhol. And yes, there are many, many other instances which I might have missed out, but the idea was to give you a general sense of the different cultures that you come across. Remember that you are not to judge everybody with the same lens. There are different people in different situations. So keep an open mind while being aware of these cultural idiosyncrasies or cultural nuances that come in our way. I'd really love to hear some of your cultural stories in the link below share comment tweet whatever share some stories and give me a question or suggestion if you think you came across a similar situation or if you are stuck in a similar situation then i'm happy to address them in subsequent episodes well that's all for now i hope you had a good time listening as much as I had sharing these thoughts. And if you did, do tune in to the other episodes of Bus Talk. Yes, you could share them on Facebook or Twitter and with especially those who might appreciate similar content. And if you need to talk to me or reach out to me, you can use the Twitter handle hashtag Gyanban, spelled as G-Y-A-N-B-A-N, one word, or email me on gyanban at gmail.com again spelt as g-y-a-n-b-a-n-n be sure to tune in next week there is a fascinating episode coming up for you till we meet again stay safe be well and bring your a-game to work ciao